Thanks for taking some time to listen to this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe God will speak to you right where you are. Now, let's take a moment and prepare our hearts to hear this week's message. Come on, how's everybody doing today? You guys good? You excited to be in church? I'm excited to be in church with you today. We're starting a brand new series called Here to There. And as we do, I have some questions to ask you. In fact, I have a lot of questions today that I want to ask you, and I would encourage you to take some notes along the way, but here's the first question. What do you want? Like, tell me what you want, what you really, really want. I want to, I want to, no, like, what do you want, right? Have you ever thought about that? What is it that you want? What do you want? If you're a parent, right, you've been asked that, you've asked that question before your kid comes up to you, dad, 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 it's like, what do you want? Like, what do you want? You probably said it a lot nicer than that. You probably said it like, what does thou wantest, my beloved son, right? Because you're a lot nicer than I am. All of a sudden, you turn into the King James Version in your language. But have you ever thought about this question? Like, what is it that you want? In fact, let me ask it this way. Um, where is it that you want to be? Where is it that you want to get to in life? What is it that you want? Like, at the end of the day, like, where do you want to be three months from now? Six months from now, 18 months from now, 24 months from now, where do you want to be? I'll ask it this way. Where is there? Where's there for you in your life? Where is there? And how will you know when you get there? How will you know when you get there in the area of your, your family, your marriage, your, your finances, your, uh, you know, your walk with Jesus? Like what does that look for, like for you as a follower of Christ? Where is there? you got to ask yourself this question. What is it that you want. Here's what I believe, that we intuitively know that wherever there is for us, that getting there doesn't just happen. Like we intuitively know that getting there, wherever it is that there is for you, takes a lot of insight, it takes a lot of planning, it takes a lot of strategy, it takes a lot of effort and direction to go from here to there. And here's what I've also discovered is that no matter how much you want to get there, how, how no matter you know how, the the effort or the excitement that you are uh, experiencing about there, we are adverse to changing any of our behaviors in the current direction of our life in order to get there. We're we're adverse to making any kind of changes because we behave the way we behave because that's how we've always behaved. You with me? Uh, for example, you could there could be a better physique for you, but your behavior of cupcakes is not going to get you there. You know what I'm saying? So where is there for you? Like, like we want to get there, but oftentimes not enough to do anything about it. Not enough to, to change any of our behaviors. And here's what I know about behavior. Behaviors are not changed because you created new habits in your life. Habits are good. You should implement habits into your life, but habits don't change behavior. Your thinking does. It begins with your thoughts. That's why Paul said in Romans 12 too, to be transformed let God transform you, not by turning over a new leaf, not by adding another habit into your life, but by changing the way that you think. It starts there. You have to change your thinking before it can change your behavior. And then those behaviors ultimately determine your direction. You have to change your thinking before you change your living in order to get from where you are to where you want to be. So in other words, you have to address your thinking here and now if you're ever going to get there. Are you with me? I would, all, I would argue all day long 
that the greatest area we need to change our thinking in is not in our physique, is not in our habits, is not in our um, you know, eating habits, is not in our hobbies or in our parenting. I would say hands down the area we need to change the way we think is in the area of our finances. Now I know as soon as I say that, there's people that get nervous in church, right? You're like, uh, and it could be because of the way you were brought up or the culture that we, we live in, but there's pushback. You know, everybody gets a little twitchy, a little jumpy. Can I just tell you, just relax. Like over the next three weeks, I want to teach you from God's word, which by the way, this is not going to be my opinion, any of it, but straight from God's word, some things that he says about your finances that will change your life. And not just your life, but for generations to come after you. And, and this isn't about, you know, what we want from you as a church. This is about what we want for you, something that God wants for you in your life. And just so you can relax a little bit and breathe easy today, I'm not even talking about giving, all right? I'm not talking about tithing, so you can just chill out, all right? I also want to apologize because for some of you, this has been the missing component in your faith journey. I have not done a great job communicating how critical the way we view money is to God. It's critical. Like, would you guys agree that prayer is probably a pretty important topic in God's word? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the Bible talks about our money and resources twice as much as prayer. Over 2,000 verses in God's word about how we handle and deal with our resources. And I think we need to address this topic because if studies are true, less than 41% of people have a plan for their finances. Less than 41% of people have a budget. My wife, Kristen, is a, a CPA, and she heard that stat and makes her cringe, right? Like, she just can't believe that means almost 60% of Americans, like, have no idea where their money is going. I know it's going to the mortgage. I know it's paying rent or the, the car insurance. But there's this whole other section they have no idea where it's going. That's why we need to talk about this. If studies are true, the average American spends, get this, 136% of their income. Now you might struggle with math, but you don't have to be a mathlete to figure out, right? That's not good. You're, you're spending 36% more than you're making, which means at the end of the month, like, and you're starting the next month, you're already in the hole. That's not good. If studies are true, the average American has uh, $6,000 plus of credit card debt. Credit card. Some of you are like, I got that on one card. Listen, like alone, credit card debt. Not, not you know, accounting for all the other debt that we, we carry, which means you're probably spending 18 to 20% interest on those credit cards, which means you're getting robbed by the credit card companies. If studies are true, 50% of Americans, if they had a $400 emergency pop-up, what is that? You need tires, uh, maybe your, the washing machine busted. $400 emergency, 50% of Americans would have to borrow money to pay for it because they're living paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. They don't have $1,000 in buffer in savings. They don't have you know three to six months of expenses in savings. So all that to say, there is a problem. Would you not agree? There's a problem with our, the, this area of finances. And it's not about our behavior, it's about our, our thinking. And so I would propose our financial challenges really are not a spending issue, but they are a vision issue. It's the way we see it. This is what the Bible says in Proverbs 29, 18, that where there is no vision, the people 
cast off restraint. You could say it like this. Where there's no vision, I will spend 36% more than I make. Where there's no vision, I'll, I'll, I'll be fine racking up credit card debt upwards of $6,000. Where there's no vision, people cast off restraint. But what's that word? It's okay talking church. Blessed, right? Who wants to be blessed, by the way? Anybody want to live blessed? Yeah, yeah, some of you didn't raise your hands. I don't know what's wrong with you. I want to live blessed. Blessed is he who keeps the law. In other words, blessed is the person that does this God's way, where there's no vision, where there's no vision. You know what vision does? Vision answers questions before they're even asked. Vision gives you a path. Vision gives you a a map for where you're going. I'll say it like this. Uh, If my vision, if I have a vision for my finances, then I know where my money is going before I even make money, before I even get it. So do you have a vision for your finances? Have you sat down with your spouse or with your family and said, this is our, our vision? Do you know where there is when it comes to this area of finances? Let, let me ask you it this way. If you were to map out a destination of where you will arrive based on your current trajectory, based on your current direction in your finances, are you going to be happy with where you arrive in three months or six months or eight months or 12 months down the road, I would propose we have to start changing the way we think about our finances. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind through God's word. Where there is no vision, people perish. Vision gives you a map. It gives you that plan. gives you that direction to get from here to there. Let me say it this way. If I have a vision to go to Florida and see the big rat, You know who I'm talking about? Mickey Mouse, all right? If I have a vision, which I don't, by the way. I don't want to go see the rat. Um, But if I have a vision to go to Florida, it's already predetermined some things in my life, has it not? If I'm going to go to Florida, it's predetermined what I'm going to pack, right? I'm not going to take snow pants and a parka, getting out of this, you know, for a little bit. Like, it's predetermined some things. It's predetermined what direction I'm going to go. I'm not going to drive north in order to go south. In fact, I'm not driving at all if I don't have to to go to Florida. Like, if I can't afford to, you know, fly everybody, then I'm just not going. I'm staying home. Because 27 hours in a car with four boys will challenge my faith. And I want to remain godly and holy. Amen. But when you have a vision for there. Follow me. When you have a vision for there, for what what there is for you and your finances, then it predetermines what you do. We could define it this way. Vision is a picture of there. So where is there for you? Well, PC, I want there in my finances to be freedom, to be margin, to not feel overwhelmed. Listen, that's a great vision. Is your current trajectory taking you there? No, I don't want... There to be, you know, where I I can use what God has given me to be a blessing, to impact this city and beyond for his kingdom. That's a great vision. Is your current direction taking you there? You know, I want there to be uh, hanging out with my grandkids, you know, when when I get older and 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 I'm done working and, you know, being able to play with them and spend time. And that's a great vision. Is the current financial direction you're headed in going to lead you there? Turn with me to Haggai. We're going to some old school Haggai. If you don't know what Haggai, go to the, the New Testament and then go back three books, all right? And you're going to find Haggai, the Haggai chapter 1, verse 5. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought. There it is. It starts with your thinking about this. 
to your ways. In other words, have a plan. Those are your ways. Have a plan. Have a vision. Uh, think about the right way. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but you never have enough. You drink but you never have your fill. Does this not describe our culture of constantly consuming? Like I got some but I want some more. I want some more and more and more that we're never, uh, you know, content with what we have. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages, check it out, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Anybody feel that way? Like as quickly as it's coming in, it's going out, and you don't even know where it's going. It's a purse with holes. Give careful thought. What is your vision? You need to answer that. What is your vision? What is your plan? And by the way, if it's just, hey, I hope that six months down the road we're in a better place, hope is not a great strategy. Hope is not going to get you there. You need to have a plan in place. So today I want to teach us how to think about our resources, how to think about what the vision is for our resources. I'm calling this message Getting There. If you want a title for it, it's called Getting There. And I'm going to give you four questions that will help us to get there. I'm going to give you four questions, and then because I'm nice, I'm going to give you the answers, all right? And by the way, how many of you know there's a difference between the answer you know is right and the answer you actually live out? You know what I'm saying? Like, you could, somebody could ask you something, and you're like, you know the right answer, but then there's the answer that you actually live out, and it's generally completely different. Someone could come up to you and say, hey, did you know that so-and-so, you know, just bought a vacation on credit cards? And you're like, Psh, that's ridiculous, but you just financed a dog over at the mall. <laughs> that's the truth. So I'm saying, I think, and I want to encourage you to make these the answers, not that you just know are right, but these the answers that you really live out in your life, because if you do, it will make all the difference in your resources. Uh, I want to take you to an interaction Jesus had in a parable in Luke chapter 12, if you have your Bibles. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13, it says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me judge or arbiter between you? I think that's how he said it. I don't know why they put it in there that way, unless that's how Jesus said it. Man, the brother, by the way, in this uh, must have been the older brother. Because during the, these, this time period in this culture, like the older brother would have control over the estate. So this is a younger brother, you know, and an older brother fighting about money. Which I know has never happened to anybody in this room. Like because, you know, you've never been stressed out. You've never argued about finances or anything like that. Uh, the people in the Bible, you should know, were just really messed up. Nothing like you, nothing like me. But they were arguing, and they go to Jesus, and they're like, hey, tell my brother to give me my half of the inheritance. And Jesus is like, uh, get this, I'm not getting into the middle of your family drama. He's like, man, who, who am I? Which that might be a word for somebody today. This is why you're here. S stay out of the drama. Like, just stay out of it. Jesus goes on to teach us some really powerful lessons, verse 15. Then he said to them, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he told him this parable. The ground of a certain man yielded an abundant harvest. It's important to note that, that it was the ground. I want you to underline that. We're coming back to it. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. We're doing good so far. He's had a good year. 
Uh, he's had a bumper crop, a big crop. Uh, he's had a great return on his investment, and he doesn't have the structures to contain it, and so he's making room. That's a good thing. That's smart management. Verse 19, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, which by the way, if God calls you a fool, that's a bad day right there. You don't want to be called a fool by God. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone, uh, whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Four questions, four answers. Here's the first one. How do you measure your life? How are you measuring your life? What is the standard of measurement you're using? Jesus said to these two brothers who are fighting about money, hey, first of all, you got to be on guard because that greed is going to tear you up. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. And that your life does not consist in the abundance of your stuff. That's not the measurement of, of what your life is. I think many of us measure our life based on what we have. I'll say it this way, that we base our, our self-worth on our net worth. That we believe the more we have, the more valuable we are. And God's like, no, no, no. Like, that's not a good measurement. That's not right at all. Your life is not the sum total of your stuff. So how are you measuring your life? You need to answer that question. How are you measuring it? Are you measuring it by what's in your account? Are you measuring it by what's in your 401k? Are you measuring it by your, your you know, real estate portfolio? Because here's the deal. Your value is not determined by the volume that you make. But you need to understand how you measure your life. However, if we live our lives according to the principles of this world, you will begin to think who I am is based on what I have. And when we think who I am is based on what I have, then no, no wonder we go, you know, spend 36% more than we bring in. If we think our value comes from how much we have. We think our value comes from much, how much we have. No wonder, you know, we go $6,000 into to credit card buying things that, that we don't need, overwhelming ourselves with debt, trying to impress people we don't even care about, right? Like, no wonder if we think that's where we find our value. If we equate our self-worth to our net worth, then we'll think I have to have that brand of clothing, that kind of watch, I have to drive that car with that logo on it. Can I tell you, God doesn't give a rip about any of that. God does not care about the kind of car you drove onto this lot. He does not care about the, the make, model, or generation of iPhone that you have in your pocket, which my boys always freak out about. They're like, oh, what version is that? I'm like, I don't even know, right? Like, God does not care about any of that. Can I tell you something? That's not what makes you great. That's not where you get your value from. You were already valuable, by the way, because you were created in the image of God. You were already great, by the way, because God put his greatness on the inside of you, not by what's on the outside of you. And in fact, let me say this. If you're going to measure how much you are worth, at least use an accurate measurement, which is about an arm's length because Jesus stretched his arms out on a cross, dying for your sin and my sin because he said, that's how valuable you are. So you better get your measurements right. You are valuable. God so loved the world, so loved you, that he sent Jesus to die for you. You're valuable. Where are you finding your value? Now, this text doesn't say that it's bad to have stuff. I want you to walk out of here hearing that. I'm not one of those, those preachers. In fact, there are two extremes when it comes to teaching on finances. And frankly, they're both messed up. They're both wrong. 
One is that God's going to make everybody financially rich. I don't believe that. Uh, if you are done with money, God is not going to give you more money, all right? It's just not going to happen. Another extreme in the teaching, though, is that God wants you to be poor. And it's this poverty kind of gospel. I just believe what God's word says is he wants you blessed. He wants you to have a, a blessed life. And he gives us principles in his word for us to have a blessed life, by the way. And he doesn't force it on you. It's one of those things. You can choose to follow his principles or not, but God wants you to live blessed. So first you have to answer the question, how do you measure your life? And here's what I know. If you measure your life by what you have, you will make some really dumb financial decisions to get more. Because you'll think that that's where you find your value and you, your worth. And by the way, I'm not talking about just extravagant spending. Because there are some people on the other end of the spectrum that grew up with nothing. Um, and now they find their self-worth in how much they saved. How much they just hold on to. They grew up with such lack that, that now they don't spend anything. And they try to pass it off as wise financial management, but it's really their pride masked in frugality. It's like the Scrooge syndrome. They're just holding on to it. So here's the answer I want you to write down. I propose to you that you measure your life according to who God says you are. That's your answer. Who is it that God says you are? Again, it's not bad to accumulate stuff. In this series, we're going to learn that, that God uh, of the Bible talks about being wise. He talks about saving. In fact, Many Proverbs talk about how good people, you know, leave an inheritance for their kids and their grandkids and how a fool devours everything that he has and doesn't store anything up. God wants you to be smart. God wants you to save and prepare for that. But those are areas you don't, don't find your value in. That's not where your value comes from. Second question is this. Who is my source? Who is my source? And this parable... Um, that Jesus taught. In fact, I grew up learning, I don't know how you grew up, but I, I grew up learning that a parable was an earthly story with a heavenly point. That's what I was told. Whether or not Jesus was retelling something that actually happened, or if he was using an illustration to communicate a point, uh, we know that it was this um, practical story used to communicate a spiritual principle. And so in this parable, he says, the ground produced a good crop for the farmer. The ground produced it. I believe what Jesus is revealing to us here is who our source actually is. That our source is not our job. That your source is not your investments or your smart investments. He said it was the ground that ultimately produced it. So maybe you're here today and you're thinking, no, no, no. Colby, I'm the source of my income. I'm the one who got up. I'm the one who went to work. Can I ask you a question? Who gave you the breath in your lungs for you to be able to wake up and go to that job and make a living? You're not your source. No, 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 I, I got my education. Now I went to school. Can I ask you another question? Who gave you the intellect and the ability to succeed, succeed in school, right, so that you could have that? Like, do not be misled. You are not your own source. God is our source. He gives us the ability. And by the way, not just for our, our finances. This is an important question in every area of our life. Who is your source? Who's the source? Deuteronomy 8, 17 says this, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth. But remember the Lord your God who gave you the ability. It was him who gives you the ability to produce that wealth. James 1.17 says everything that we have, every good gift that we have comes from God above. Now does that mean the farmer didn't have to plant seed? Nope. Of course he had to go out and plant seed. 
Does that mean he didn't have to fertilize the ground? No, absolutely, he had to do that, but he did not create the ground. Are you with me? He didn't create the ground. He didn't, he didn't create the ability for the seed to germinate and to begin to, to sprout. So he had a part to play, but ultimately the source of his production was God. That's the answer. God alone is your source. God alone gives you the ability to produce. God alone is your source. However, do you have to get up and go to work tomorrow? Yes or no? Yes. Don't go call in and say, hey, I learned in church that God is my source that I don't have to come in today. Listen, you're probably going to get fired, all right, if that's the case. Of course, you still have to work hard. Like, you have to do what you, you have to do. You have to punch the clock. You have to get in and make it happen. But you do that understanding that God alone is that source that allowed you to wake up, that gave you the ability to produce on the job, that God alone is your source. However, if we believe that we are our source, then we begin to manage and steward what we have as though it came from us. And when we see it as something that came from us, then we believe that it is all for us. And when we believe it's all for us, then we believe that we are the center of our world. We are the center of the universe. And can I tell you, that is a dangerous proposition because pride comes before destruction. You are not your source. God alone is your source. How do I measure my life? Who is my source? Question number three, what is my role then? Like, what's my role? If God is my source, Colby, and every good gift I have comes from him, he gives me the, the ability, what's my role in my resources? Here's the answer. I'll give it to you right away. My role is manager, not owner. My role is to manage what God has given me. Notice in this story, uh, this guy had this great crop, and so he built bigger barns. And I've heard people approach this text and go, and because he built bigger barns, that's why God condemned him. That's not what it says. That, that would be an inaccurate um, kind of reading of this text. In fact, he was simply doing what anyone with wisdom would do. Like if you don't have enough room, right, you don't have the systems in place, you don't have the structures in place meant to, to handle all that was produced, you're going to build bigger. That was good management that he did. The problem was whenever he looked at those barns and he found his security in those barns rather than in God. And he said, I, I did that. That's why he was condemned. But God, but he did the right thing by increasing his ability to manage what God gave him. So I would propose that we are managers, not owners. And this could be um, the most life-changing principle in this whole series for some of you. If this was actually the answer that you, you lived out, not the one that you knew was right, but actually the one that you applied to your life. Because when you, when you see God as being the owner of it all, then it changes your whole perspective on how you handle what you have. You go to the owner, you consult the owner on how he wants you to spend his resources, because it doesn't belong to us anyway. And in fact, I'm not just talking about in the tithe, like seeking God, God, should I, you know, give the tithe? I'm talking about the other 90%. I'm talking about everything. Colby, do you really mean I should, I should approach God and seek God on, on how I spend my money? Yes, you should. Like, do you really mean I should consult the scriptures on, on spending what, what I have? Absolutely. God has a lot to say about how we do that, how about how we handle what he's given us. Like Kristen and I, we even labor over, you know, how much to spend going out to eat. We're like, well, I want to get pizza because it's cheap. 
and I got four boys to feed, but I know I should also eat clean, but I also want a donut, and Krispy Kreme light is on right now, and like these are the conversations that we have, right? We just, we labor over that even. We consult the owner as to how we spend and budget our money. Why? Because we don't own it. We're managing what God has given to us. It's not our money. So how would it change your life if you live that way? If you would look at your bank account and say, that's not mine. That belongs to someone else. And I'm going to ask them how they want me to spend it, to what they want me to do with it. Do you think that maybe it would have saved you from some stupid financial decisions? Listen, I bought a Bowflex <laughs> that sat in my basement for years as a place to hang laundry. All right, I just throw that out there. You think that maybe if you consulted God, you wouldn't have got into that $700 a month car payment for 137 years or whatever it is, right? Do you think maybe it would have saved you from some dumb financial decisions if you consulted God with how you spent? If you just saw it as you were the manager, not the owner? I look at it this way too. How many gifts have I missed out on because I went ahead and bought something when God was wanting to give it to me? Because that's happened before. In fact, it was a, a like four or five years ago, I was looking for snowblowers. I needed a new snowblower, and I couldn't find one. And something inside of me was like, just don't get it yet. Just don't get it yet. I'm like, this, this is the one I think I need to get. Just don't get it yet. And it was that same weekend that my father-in-law had purchased us a snowblower. Like, just out of the blue. And I'm like, how many gifts, how many things have we missed out on because we've rushed ahead of God? And God's like, oh, you already got that? So I don't have to give it to you now. I think it could happen. I know it's happened for me. My role is to manage, not to own. What does God want to do in your life? But you got ahead of him because you thought you were the, the owner. What decisions did you make that are carried with you two, three, six years now, you know, of debt or whatever because you didn't consult God at all? God has given us principles in his word how to manage what he's given us in a way that honors him and blesses us. And it's amazing how he can do both at the same time. And if you're the owner and you're taking charge of, of what you have, can I ask you something? Where does that leave God room to move? If you're taking charge of it, you're in control of it, then where does that leave room for God to move in that area of your life? Here's the last question I'll give you. How do I measure my life? Who's the source? What is my role? Finally, what is my goal? What is my goal? What does there look like? What's the goal? See, the problem in this story wasn't that he produced a big crop. In fact, I could argue with you, uh, and biblically I could argue that God's the one that produced the crop, right? It was the ground uh, that produced it. God wanted him to have a big return. And the problem wasn't that he just built bigger barns, right? Because that was good management. He built, you know, a, enough area to contain. You don't want the crops to just lay out and die. That would be wasteful. The problem was when he took a step back and he looked at his barns and he said, look what I've done. Look what I've built. And God was like, oh, you did, did you? You did that. And then what did he say? I can rest now. I'll take life easy. I can eat, drink. I'll be merry. Look what I have done. Here's the problem. He looked at his barns and he put his trust in his stuff his security in his stuff 
rather than in God. And God tells him, I will never give you things that will make you put your trust in those things over me. And that parable, he says, that night demanded his life from him. What's the goal? Here's the goal. Write it down, the answer. That you can get to the place where the stuff you have doesn't have you. That ultimately you get to the place where God has your whole heart. You know the number one competitor for our heart is our money, is our stuff. Just, it's, it is. And God says, I want to have your whole heart. I want to get you there, but in order to get you there, I have to have your whole heart. Proverbs 18, 11 says this, that the wealth of the rich, we push back on what that word means, and I don't have time to go into the statistics and surveys. Just Let's just say this, you're all rich. Rich is relative, but if you earn minimum wage, you are in the top 5% wage earners in the world. Like, we're rich. It says the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. Like, they, they find their strength in it. They find their security in it. And it says they imagine, and I think it uses the word imagine because it's a mirage. It's just a, it, it, how many of you know, it's, you could get laid off like that. The company could close down like that. Um, money could be gone like that. Markets could crash like that. It's a mirage. They imagine it, a wall too high to scale. That's what this farmer did. He imagined his stuff, his, his barns, and his surplus, now this wall of security in his life. He said, I'm safe. Now I'm secure. And God's going, hey, you were secure before you ever got those barns. You, you didn't need any of that stuff because I got you. So what's the goal that God would have all of our hearts? Every bit of it. And if we're not careful, we'll get to the place where God blesses us and we'll end up using God um, and loving money. When God wants us to love God and use money, use what he's given us as a tool. So let's do this. I want you to close your eyes and I'm going to ask you these questions again. Just in a spirit of prayer. What is the vision for your life? What is there look like? Is your current direction leading you there? Where are you finding your value? How do you measure your life? Are you measuring in your stuff? Or are you measuring it according to who God says you are? Who is your source? Have you been led to believe that it's you, you alone, that have made the ability to, to work? You're a self-made man, you're a self-made woman. When God has given you all ability, if you realize that your source is from God, that everything comes from God, then do you see yourself as a manager or an owner? And ultimately, ultimately, does God have your whole heart? All of it. With every head bowed, every eye closed, maybe you're here today. And you would answer that question, that last one, with a profound no. But you know God does not have your entire heart. In fact, maybe you've never crossed the line of faith and, and given your heart to follow Jesus. And when it comes to measuring your value, you've been using the wrong measurement. Because the value that you have in God was one where he said, I love you so much 
that I'm willing to give something that's precious to me, my first and only son, to die on the cross for your sins. That's how much you're worth to God. And you need to hear that. You need to know that, that he loves you that much to save you and set you free from the sin that you carry. And he wants to enter into a relationship with you. And the way we do that is through prayer, communicating with God. And so I want to give you some language to do that. If you'd say, you know what? God does not have my heart. And I'm going to give him my whole heart. I believe I have value in Christ. And I'm going to follow Jesus with my life. If you'd say, when you pray that prayer, Colby, I'm praying it right along with you. Would you right now just lift your hand up? No one's looking around. Just hold it up high. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so good. You can put your hands down. Say something like this. Jesus, today, I surrender my life to you. I give you my whole heart. I want to find my value in you and in you alone. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you for setting me free. Come into my life. Holy Spirit, invade my heart. Make me a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com forward slash yes. There will be some practical resources that will help you as you start this awesome journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to see people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, you can do so by going to elevatechurch.com forward slash give.